Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli. It's been a little while since I've recorded an episode here because I've been traveling and it's been crazy. But in my travels, I was talking to some of my investment counselors like Oliver and Melissa and Steve, etc. And we got thinking, hey, you know, it's been a while since we've done a podcast episode and just talked about what we do and questions our clients ask and issues that they run into and some of the common questions. And I thought, wait, this is a great opportunity to actually just get all of them on separately and ask these questions and just have a good conversation about what are our investors experiencing? What should you know? But all of this coming from the perspective of the investment counselor. So with me today, I have Oliver, one of our investment counselors here. And we're just going to have a unscripted conversation about working with us and common questions that come up and common fears and issues and things that just maybe you didn't think about. And even if you're working with us already or if you worked with us in the past and you already have experience working with us, maybe these are things that in hindsight you can go back to and think about and maybe improve what you're doing with your portfolio. So as you continue to build that portfolio with us, you are going to be just a sharper, more seasoned and smarter investor. So with all that, Oliver, welcome to the show. Thank you, Marco. Thank you for that introduction. I think that a lot of our investors are going to get a lot out of this episode because we're going to go over a lot of the questions that so many hundreds or if not thousands of you out there have. Yeah, absolutely. And I love having these conversations. You and I seem to get on the phone from time to time and we end up talking about one thing and that one thing mushrooms into all these different conversations and topics and questions and ideas. And it's almost like a brainstorming session. So it's actually a lot of fun. And, and, some, and you and I were kind of joking about this before we were recorded, but we should just click a record button and record our conversations because they would make fantastic podcast episodes. Oh, exactly. Almost every conversation that we've had, I think that we've left it off by saying, man, we absolutely <laughs> should have recorded that. So that just means that we're having, you know, great conversations that hopefully a lot of people would find useful. And now we're finally clicking on that record button. And uh, hopefully this is going to help a lot of people out there. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to have fun while doing it too. <laughs> yeah, well, that's my hope. And I'm sure this is going to turn out great. So, you know, Oliver, I always like to start my podcast recordings with a very basic question. I just like starting with the basics. And so let's kind of point the spotlight on you for one sec or a minute and talk about the counselor's role. Maybe share with us how you would describe your role with your investor clients here at Norada. Yeah, absolutely. So the way that I like to explain my role to a new investor is that I more or less help advise the investor, the new client or individual on what it is that they can potentially do with some capital that they may have saved up. So I found that the best way I can really explain this is that I essentially hold your hand from step A to Z for the entire process from having that initial introductory call to moving forward with all of the steps that are involved post that, from the lending, from the looking at market specifics, reviewing and assessing properties together, going through the home inspections, seeing if there's any issues there, and then bringing all that through to closing. And then afterwards, this is actually a question that I get asked quite often is, you know, what's your role once I close on a property? Do you just sort of go away? And the way I explain this is I always say that I'm here not just to sell you one house and then you'll never hear from me again. My role is really to help you, the investor, build a portfolio 
So you're going to continually hear from me in some way, shape or form post-closing. I want to know how the property is doing. I want to make sure that your portfolio is on track to reach the goals that you're wanting. And some of my investors, if they can only save a small chunk of money every year, that's fine. We touch base every four to six months and we see how things are going. And if you're wanting to move more on the fast track, we just adjust and we touch base a lot more often in order to show you, you know, the right properties that are out there and develop your and create your portfolio the way that you want. So I know that that was a bit of a long-winded question or answer to that question there, Marco, but I hope that that tries to um, answer that question. And I find that sometimes just discussing my role can be a little challenging because there's so many segues that can go into answering that because it depends on where the investor's at. Like for example, if for someone that's brand new versus someone that already has a well-developed portfolio, their lending criteria and their options are going to be a lot different as to someone that still hasn't used up you know, their first initial conventional loans. And so when it comes to getting financing through LLCs, going through specific vendors, creating a bundle of properties to be able to purchase all at once and, and lump those all up into one loan, I mean, that's a whole other strategy and criteria that we're looking at doing instead of someone that's just getting started and wants to sort of dip their toe in the pond. <laughs> right. You know, that's a great specific question. And I have two comments on that. The first is that a lot of investors seem to think that, well, I shouldn't say a lot, some, and this is only because of postings in online forums, but some investors think, and these are people that don't actually work with us, they just don't have a good understanding of the services we actually provide, but there's this false belief that we, quote unquote, throw investors over the fence to the teams, the builders, the providers, and lenders, and so forth that we work with in other markets. And that is far from the truth, because we always remain the primary point of contact for you, the investor, in working with you at each step of the way. We do obviously need to bring other people in into the fold, like lenders and home builders and property providers, et cetera, et cetera, as we go down that road, as we have this journey. So it's not that we're throwing you over the fence. It's just that we do need to introduce you to property managers and lenders and other people in order for you to achieve your investment goals. So we're never throwing anybody over the fence, right? It's just that we want to remain your primary point of contact, but we have to obviously give you over to other people to work with them as we work with you, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. So we're always in the mix in some way, shape or form overseeing something. And there's also a lot that tends to happen in the background that maybe the investor may not necessarily know about at the forefront, especially if I'm dealing with our lenders directly, or maybe with some of the providers in terms of timeframes, timelines, you know, making sure that certain things are done on the property. We always ensure that the investor knows what's going on. But sometimes, you know, in order to push that, maybe to get things going sometimes a little faster and ensure that there's proper communication, there's a lot that goes on in the background that the investor may not necessarily know about, but we're always keeping tabs on what it is that we can do for, their, for the investor to make sure they're well taken care of. That's right. And just to add to that, the other point that I was going to make a minute ago is from a 40,000 foot level, we call this initial conversation or maybe even the first two conversations that a client will have with you as an investment counselor, we refer to that as a strategy session. And the reason for that is we want to make sure that we understand where a client is today and where they're trying to go. Everybody starts off at a different point. Everybody starts off with no properties, but people start off with no properties and some capital, and then they start building their portfolio and it's one or two properties over the course of, let's say, a year. 
but they all have an idea of where they want to go. And that could be a financial goal, it could be a number of properties, it could be an age of retirement. It's different for everybody. But for us to take a look at that and understand your personal situation and what your goals are allows us to help you reverse engineer that. So if you're here today and you want to be up here down the road, and let's say that's a passive income goal of 5000 a month and it's a combination of 15 properties spread across three different markets. Well, all that is stuff that we're going to help you identify and get specific on. And it's just a matter of us listening to you, asking some intelligent questions, pulling that information out of your head and creating essentially a roadmap. And that's just what we all do here with that first or second conversation. And we refer to it as a strategy session. And of course, we don't charge for that. It's something we gladly do because we want to help you. And everything else you just said, Oliver, really just kind of fills in all the gaps and paints the picture in color as how that strategy session unfolds going forward. Anything to add to that? It just brought up a couple of examples, actually, for some recent clients. One client, his name is Chris. Uh, he's a friend of mine. And he just recently, uh, he's in the process of closing on his second property. And based on the total amount of cash flow he's going to be bringing in from those two properties, he's now going to be able to cover his full car payment. And he just recently got himself his dream car for the moment. And he loves this thing. He's showing me pictures and all. And once we've done the numbers on this, he will now be able to have that entire amount that he's bringing in cash flow on, that, on those properties. That amount will cover his car payment moving forward. And so granted, you know, he's still a young guy. You know, he's in his 30s. But his goal is obviously going to be very different than some other clients that are looking more towards retirement. They're looking more towards the stability of the cash flow that can come in and that's generated on those properties. And so whether your goal is to have your overall monthly passive income cover your dream car payment, or if it's just to build that nest egg, or if it's just to build overall wealth, or maybe fund that vacation for you, everyone's goals are going to be slightly different. And we'll just help tailor, you know, to whatever it is that the investor is looking for. Right, exactly. And that all starts with that first step, that first call, that strategy session to help put it all out on the table and just see how we can map this out with you. So, all right, let's talk about some common questions here. And really, there's probably a long list of common questions that could take (laughs) up several episodes. But one that I actually get from time to time myself, you know, as I'm out on the field and dealing with providers and lenders and meeting new people at networking events, I get this question after I tell them what we do. They say, well, this sounds too good to be true. What's the catch? <laughs> so That's something I get so often as well, Marco. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand why that is. Maybe it's because we provide what I've ultimately defined to be the knowledge, the resources, and the properties, and we provide all this stuff at no cost. And that's usually when I kind of get the eyebrows going up and people say, well, they either ask me, how do you guys make money? Or they say, well, this sounds too good to be true. What's the catch? So When someone asks you that, what do you say? That's probably one of the most common questions that I get asked. How do we get paid? How do we get compensated? There's a really easy answer to that one. Essentially, we just get paid a flat fee from our providers once we close on a property. And I think that you've actually done a couple of podcasts on this one as well, Marco, just a short Ask Marco session. That's really the answer to that. I mean, is this too good to be true? I won't lie. I mean, there's definitely, you know, there's always going to be skeptics. And it really takes someone to take that initial step to move forward with something to decide and you know and see for themselves does this make sense and on my end, I mean I've been investing for over 10 years and initially was I a little skeptical absolutely but you know what after I did my first one my second one third and as things progressed you know it just made sense and that's what I find a lot of investors that's usually the progression 
when they buy one property, they may hold on to it. I wouldn't obviously hold on to it, but they will closely keep an eye on the following months, on the month two, three, four, five, et cetera, to see how the cash flow is coming in. What are things looking like? Are there any issues that come up? And I won't say that there aren't any issues that come up because sometimes, you know what, things do happen. But the majority of the time, that's the majority of the time, they're just seeing that cash flow that's being deposited into their bank account automatically every month. And when that happens, they have a lot more confidence in the process. That's when they start looking at a second property, a third property. And eventually, that's when they start telling their friends and family about us. And that's really how we've been able to grow. But that takes someone taking, just doing that initial step and making the decision to move forward. Or if not, even move forward, then just to get more information and speak to one of us and to ensure that this is indeed the right step for you, because it may not be for everyone. Yeah, that is true. It's not for everybody. But that's a good answer to the question. I mean, the reality is, is that this is a people business, not a property business. Things will happen, but the numbers don't lie. If you have accurate numbers and you're looking at actual numbers or realistic pro forma numbers, and those are just based on what you are able to pull out of the market and the market rents, and you can compile this stuff pretty easily, and we already have it. But when you look at this stuff, you'll know that you have a very good expectation of what is going to happen over the course of the coming months and the coming years. But again, we're dealing with people. It's not just properties. And so things will happen from time to time. You will have a turnover. You know, Someone will move out after a year, two, three, four years because they have a job transfer, family transfer. Um, you know, They're moving up, they're moving down, whatever the case is. But it's just important to be realistic about the whole thing. So it may sound too good to be true, but the reality is, is that it is good. It is great. Real estate is one of the best investment classes out there. It is the most tax-favored investment class, and it's the only thing short of starting a successful business where you can get the maximum amount of leverage on your capital. So when you look at your overall returns from your cash flow, plus what you're going to gain in equity from the amortization of the loan and appreciation over time, you can't beat real estate. So when you understand how the numbers compound and aggregate or accumulate with each other, and you just look at what that can do across multiple properties over multiple years, yeah, there's quite the wow factor there. But look around. People who are financially independent typically and often have some sort of portfolio of real estate. So the proof, I guess, is just in the pudding. It's in the reality that a lot of people hold wealth and create wealth using real estate. So I guess that's kind of indirectly a way that I address that question of how, if it sounds too good to be true, it's because it is good and it is true. And just look around. You can do your own research. Yeah, exactly. Just looking around. I mean, what was one of those famous books about the millionaire next door, I think is what it was called. Yeah, Thomas Stanley. Mm-hmm. That's right. I mean, you don't know until you have some experience in this field and or if you know someone. Actually, let's just pause right now. <laughs> I don't know where my mind was going with that one. Sorry, Marco. No, that's okay. But you mentioned The Millionaire Next Door. I remember reading that book a long, long time ago when it first came out. And I thought it was an incredible book. I actually fell in love with the book and I thought, oh, this is the answer. And there's a lot of great stuff in there. And a big focus of that book is really just about being frugal. And I actually see that as the flaw in the book. And I don't agree with that book for that reason. I don't agree with him on some of the things he says in that book, because what he's basically saying is you have to be extremely frugal. Don't splurge or treat yourself. Drive an F-150 truck as opposed to the car that you would like to drive. 
Well, if you have a very limited low income and that's your only option, well, then that's your only option. It's to live frugally in order to save to invest, whether that be in the stock market, as he talks about, or in real estate. But if you have the ability to enjoy your life, and I don't mean go on cruises every six months and just spend foolishly, but if you have the ability to save first and save on a plan where you can save enough to achieve your investment goals in real estate and whatever else you're doing and enjoy life, skip the F-150 truck and go to whatever your car is of choice, et cetera, et cetera. You can do both. To me, it's not either or. You can do both if you have the capacity to do that. But the message in that book is so strong about being frugal and saving every penny and every dime to get there that you don't enjoy life. And then ultimately, you're set when you're retired, but you haven't enjoyed life during your 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s in that journey or that process. So I guess to get off my soapbox, I just want to say that's kind of the beef I have with that book. I would agree with you on that one there, Marco. I remember years ago, there was this one particular stat that a lot of people use, which was, I think it was the Starbucks factor or something along those lines, where they just compared this. They said, listen, if you spend $5 every day on a Starbucks coffee or Frappuccino or whatever you get, five times, you know, multiply that by every day of the year. So that's, you know, $150 a month and then just times 12, you know, so you're spending $1,300 a month, I mean, a year on coffee. Well, you know what? If I really like coffee, which I really do, is spending $5 on something that I really enjoy worth it for me? I know that I work hard, and so it absolutely is. Whether I do it every day, I mean, I usually do, (laughs) but that's definitely something that I like to do. And so being frugal, it can make sense in some ways, but I mean, enjoying your time while you're here is the most important thing. And that's a big segue as to why it is that we do what we're doing. Yeah to be able to generate that additional income, to be able to offset some of those expenses that we'll have later on, or if not, just to create that income to do anything that you want to. Yeah. Like I mentioned at the start, to get that car. Hey, and by the way, Marco, an F-150 is a great truck. <laughs> oh, I'm not saying it isn't. I'm just saying that it seems to be the uh, vehicle of a choice amongst the millionaires next door, as Thomas Stanley <laughs> paints, right? It's the guy that you never thought would have a net worth of a million dollars it's the guy that's you know wearing you know the jeans and the basic shirt and he has no sign of any kind of wealth and he just drives an F150 truck <laughs> through his research and surveys that was the most common vehicle of the millionaires that are next door in the community that you would never think was a millionaire but that just happens to be the vehicle of choice at least back then i wonder what it would be now prius toyota prius <laughs> who knows <laughs> I don't know. I'm not even going to take a guess on that one. No, I'm not going to either. But we're talking about cash here. So let's ask this next question here. You know, how much cash do I need? I I get asked this question from time to time. I don't know how common it is. I'll let you answer it. And then I have kind of my canned answer to that question. Yeah, absolutely, Marco. So that is a question I get asked all the time as well. And the quick and easy answer to it is to have at least twenty dollars to $30,000 on hand. Always cover your down payment. And nowadays, all you need is 20% down payment on the properties. And I always allocate around $5,000 for closing costs. So just to give a rough example here, on that $100,000 property, you'll expect to put down 20%, so $20,000, and then allocate at least $5,000 for closing costs. And granted, like that $5,000 I'm saying, I'm explaining for closing costs, what that really includes are all of the loan origination fees the county, the recording fees, and all of those, plus the appraisal fee, the insurance, and any type of prorated taxes. 
So sometimes I'll have clients that call me up and they're all confused when they see the original, the, uh, the loan estimate. They say, Oliver, why, why are the loan estimates so high? And it's because they include those three big factors I mentioned at the end. So the appraisal fee, which is usually around five to $700. Again, it depends whether or not you're buying a single family or a multi-unit, but it is more than just your residential purchase. And then your insurances, you always have to add those on plus any prorated taxes. So it just depends on the time of year that you're purchasing and you're closing on that property. If taxes are due immediately, then you'll obviously have to pay the taxes for the remaining of the year. Whereas if they are not due yet, you may only have a smaller payment. And then the months preceding that, you'll have a larger payment that you'll have to pay for taxes. So that's why it's always good to ballpark roughly $5,000 or so for that amount. And with that property, you know, you'll get a great, in most of our markets, you know, that'll be a great B-class property you know, where you'll be able to cash flow quite well. Yeah. So around twenty to $30,000 is a very good starting point. Yeah, that's a good answer. And when you're talking about closing costs, you're being very general because you're actually chunking in pretty much everything related to that transaction from beginning to end. So I might say, and I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying that I might say that you're being on the high end. So just to compare and contrast, this is typically how I answer the question of how much cash do I need? And of course, the first word out of my mouth is it depends, but I always like to give my typical example. And I'm going to say this, that a lot of the properties that we sell through our network to our investor clients range from 80,000 to 180,000. That's just my canned response. I mean, it could be a little higher, a little lower, but that's kind of the range and maybe 120 to 125,000 is the median price of what we sell. But I always take it down to the basic $100,000 property example because I like to work with easy math. So my hypothetical example is, well, if you take a $100,000 three-bedroom home and it's in a B-class neighborhood of some kind in one of the markets we're in, and you're using 20% as a down payment, so you're looking at $20,000 of investable capital, that's your equity going into the property. And then in addition to that, you want to budget between two and 3000 This is my rounded number, two to $3,000 in closing costs. And I may not be chunking everything in that you're talking about, but generally speaking, if you look at your prorations and fees that are on the settlement statement, it's going to be somewhere in the two to 3,000 range. I've seen it less, but I just call it two to 3,000. And then I'll also say that you should have another two or $3,000, which is essentially two to three months worth of gross rent as reserves, at least for the first batch of properties, not necessarily for every single property. So if you add that up, you're looking at twenty-four dollars to $26,000, probably around twenty-five, dollars $26,000 for that $100,000 property. So when you ask the question, how much cash do I need? Well, if you're looking at a $100,000 property, bank on about $25,000 or so dollars for your down payment closing costs and it's something for reserves. And that's just a really simple answer to that question that allows people to just think the math in their head very quickly. And now they're thinking, oh, okay, well, I've got $100,000 to invest. At $25,000 per, that's four properties, and it just allows them to add up the number of properties that they can execute on very quickly. So that's my answer to the question. I think that's a really good one. Helps see this in a different way and calculating things slightly differently. We yeah. arrive about the same number, and yeah, I just like to put a chunk it in so that way it's easily, um, you know, you just see it in two different tranches as yeah. opposed to, yeah, it just makes things easier, especially when you're getting started. Sometimes there's so many numbers that are coming at you. You want to just be able to simplify everything as much as possible and just have that goal in mind and that number in mind as to, okay, 25K per property or so that include all these things. How many of those can I get? And what's my cash flow goal? Sort of work towards that goal, having those general numbers in mind. So Oliver, let's touch on a couple of expectations related questions before we wrap up here, because you and I could obviously go on forever. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So 
Sometimes investors ask the question or they're thinking about this and they don't actually ask the question, but we're talking about passive real estate investments and there's a difference between a passive and an active type of real estate investment. But generally speaking, when you're buying properties that are meant to be a buy and hold rental property in your portfolio, we're referring to passive investments. So people ask the question or they think about, well, how passive is passive? And I don't know exactly what they mean when they ask that initially. I have to kind of dig down because some people are thinking, well, how involved do I need to be month after month with this property, even though they have a full service property manager? And some people might be thinking that how much time do I have to put into managing my portfolio from the sense of bookkeeping, accounting, tracking, talking to a property manager? It's kind of an open question, but if I just throw it out there to you and I'm your client, I'm asking, well, this is a passive investment, but how passive is it passive? How much time should I be putting in or do I need to put in? And the answer to that one is similar to your last answer, Marco, which is it depends. Right. (laughs) And the reason reason I say that is for an investor that's starting out, if they have one property, actually, this was asked to me a couple of months ago from a client. I'm buying my first property. Am I going to have to touch base with my property manager every week, see what's going on with the property? I said, well, you know what? That'll definitely be overkill. And they'll get to know you at the office very well, very fast. (laughs) Ultimately, if there are no issues that's going on with the property, you're getting your rents in every month. There's no repairs or maintenance items on your monthly statements. There isn't a huge reason for you to touch base with your management, your property manager. It's good to touch base with them maybe every four to six months just to ensure that things are going smoothly, seeing if the, the tenant has any issues and concerns that have been brought up. But overall, if you only have one property and all you're doing is taking a look at the monthly statement and just reviewing that, it literally takes 30 seconds to do and look at. Again, it, maybe if you're a lot more detailed and you take all those numbers and you insert them into a spreadsheet, that'll take a few more minutes. But overall, if you have one property and that's all you're reviewing, in my opinion, granted, I've been doing this for a long time. It only takes me a couple of minutes to review all of my monthly statements every month. And if I do have any questions, I just call up the manager, the property manager. I just ask them whatever issue or line item that I, I want to know more about. Or maybe I send them an email. I ask them for photos about something that was recently uh, replaced at the property. But overall, it depends on how big your portfolio is and also how micro-specific you may want to be. There's some people that really love to know as much as they possibly can about a specific neighborhood or community or an area that they're purchasing in or wanting to purchase in. So they can spend hours and hours researching and looking at all sorts of different statistics. But overall, once you have that property and you get your monthly statements, if there's nothing that's coming up on the property every month, it's quite minimal in terms of the amount of time you need to spend on a monthly basis reviewing these statements. The thing that'll take the most amount of time is whenever you, there's a, uh, a rent ready, which all that means is your tenant has left the property. So hopefully, <laughs> given their 30-day notice to the property manager, and then once they move out, the, home, the property management company will send their team there to assess everything and do what they call a rent ready, which is just, hey, here are all of the items that need to be done to the property in order to make the property rent ready for the next tenant. And then they'll typically have a discussion with you about that and how much that costs. They'll give you photos and give you a line item expense as to what it'll cost to do that. But that's typically the most time consuming thing that you can expect. And I actually just had one of these last month on one of my properties. It took me, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes or so to take a look at everything, 
review some photos and approve all. So not that long. So that's probably the most time consuming thing that can happen. And then the other one, which is the very unfortunate case, is if ever you have to deal with an eviction. And based on the state that you're in, I mean, usually property managers can get a tenant out of a, uh, a property within 30 to 45 days, but they tend to take care of all of that for you. They're the ones that are going to court on your behalf. They're the ones that are meeting with the sheriff if need be at the property. And all you'll get are like the summaries as to what's happening at the property and then the dealings and the workings there. So that is probably the second most time consuming thing, but it's not as active because you're not the one that has to physically go to court. You have someone doing all of those things on your behalf. Right. I think it's important to point out to everybody listening that as descriptive as everything was that you just said, most, virtually all, but most of everything you just described is not being done by you, the investor, is actually being done by, handled by your property manager. You're just going to get an update, whether it be an email or a phone call to let you know what is going on. And the second thing I'd like to point out is that if you do experience an eviction, I want to point out that it's not that common. Often someone is going to move out because they're just moving on. They're moving up, down, out of town, job transfer, moving to the other side of town, whatever the case may be. It's like a voluntary move. You can expect all tenants to stay somewhere between one to three, maybe one to four years, just depending on the type of neighborhood you're in. So organic, natural move in and move outs happen, but evictions are, they don't happen as often as a lot of people think interestingly enough. And often when you experience an eviction, often it's because you're in a sketchy neighborhood, a middle C-class neighborhood. You're dealing with a demographic of tenant that is just not the same as someone like in an A-class community that will leave the property, broom swept clean, and move on to their next place. So the point I'm trying to make is that a lot of this stuff that's being handled is being handled by your property manager. Your time is really more about the communication and just being updated or asking questions if there are any questions to ask or be answered. Right, exactly. So the investor is more or less the CEO, I guess is what you can see them as. And all of these other individuals, including your property manager, they're just bringing you small to take a look at and review that you have directly take action, anything along those lines. You have people doing all this work on your behalf. And all you're doing is assessing and reading the update. Yeah. I'm going to add one more thing and then we'll probably just go on to the last question I want to ask you. Just regarding the time, when you have a portfolio, whether it's one property or five or 10 or 50, when you have a stabilized portfolio, this is just a very, very, very general rule of thumb, but I like to think of a stabilized portfolio involving about five minutes per property per month. And when you ask the question, well, what is that five minutes for? It's really just to When you're tracking your income and expenses, and you can automate all this so it doesn't actually take any of your time other than to review. But in the beginning, you know, your first few properties might take you a little bit more time each month because you were voluntarily wanting to spend more time to read the statements and understand what's happening and you're learning from the experience. But as time goes on and you have a bigger portfolio and it's stabilized, you're really spending literally minutes per property just to make sure that income is booked and the expenses are booked. And you can automate this stuff to the point where you have your gross rents, your rents that are coming in from the property management company being automatically deposited into your bank account, your LLC's bank account, whatever, wherever it's going. So that income comes in, it's automatic. And then in my case, it's PITI, your principal interest taxes insurance. It's all one lump sum that is being taken out by my lender 
So the gross rent comes in in the beginning of the month. The lender pulls out their principal interest tax insurance payment each month. And so those two transactions are on my bank statement each month and it happens automatically and I track that. Well, I've done different things in the past. I've used spreadsheets. I've used QuickBooks. You can use stessa.com, which is, they were one of our podcast sponsors in the past and we're actually working with them now to work on some other things together. But they will help to automate and create a dashboard for all your properties. So you can just see all this happening as if you are just looking at a dashboard on your laptop. So a lot of this stuff is automated and doesn't really take a lot of time. So whether you have one property, 10 or even 30, the time involvement is minimal outside of any time involvement with your property manager for things that may come up from time to time, month to month. So it really is a minimal time investment. But you would do that regardless whether you're looking at your stock portfolio or you got something else going on. There's always going to be a little bit of engagement and involvement no matter what you invest in and what you're doing. So it's not even a price to pay, but it's a very small price to pay for the benefits of what you have in terms of investment. Yeah, sure, Marco. And I like to do this every now and then. But when I look at what my overall net cash flow for the month is compared to the amount of time that I actually spend on reviewing these statements, it ends up being pretty high. And I know that may not necessarily be something that many people may think of as in terms of like a ROI on time, but I definitely do. Some people may want to incorporate, you know, the down payment, the closing costs and everything else. But hey, I'm like, this is what I spend on doing this every month. It's maybe 20 minutes a month max, you know, on all the properties that I own. Oliver, I think most people can afford 20 minutes a month. <laughs> I think. I absolutely do think that they can. And when they end up two, three, four, five years down the line, when they see the amount of time that they spent on the other properties and the amount of benefits that they've been able to get from it from a tax perspective, the equity, cash flow, all of that, it becomes very, very significant. Yeah. The bottom line is we all need to do something for our financial well-being and our financial future. And if it's something that you want to pass along to your family, your heirs, you're going to have an investment of time and capital. So you already understand the capital investment side of it, but the time is something that you just need to do. Unless you're completely lazy and you've just checked out of everything altogether, then it doesn't matter. But it's time well spent. It's time invested. To me, I don't look at it as an expense. I look at it as a necessity. I'm going to put the time in to understand the performance of my portfolio, make sure everything is moving along well, and I'm going to see how I can improve that, how I can leverage that to do better next month and next year and as time goes on. So I enjoy it. I think it's fun. I learn from it. And if I'm learning something, I'm happy. I'm a perpetual learner, so I will always want to be learning something. And if I can learn from my experience in building my portfolio, great. More power to me. Yeah, absolutely. So one last question, and we don't have to go long on this one, but it's really more of a preparedness question. I kind of thought about this just before we were recording here. What should investors do before they contact you or their investment counselor? It's a very general question. It could be about preparedness. It could be a mindset thing. I mean, what should investors do before they contact us? I would definitely recommend listening to at least a few of the podcasts. Most of our listeners have already, some of them have listened to quite a few of them, but what should they do beforehand? I would absolutely say to save up some capital and just save up a little bit of capital in order to be able to get started on the potential path of moving forward with the property and have that vision and mindset and that goal in mind. And then also have a good idea in terms of where you stand, debt to income ratios, and also your credit score. So just ensure if you have a huge amount of debt, for example, chances are they may not necessarily qualify you. So it'll always be good to pay down some of those outstanding credit cards if you do have those. But otherwise, it's just good to be in a good financial place. And what that means is if you have twenty dollars or $30,000, make sure that that's not every nickel and dime that you own that you have in your bank account. 
you know, you also want to make sure to be in a good, stable financial place before moving forward. So those are probably the best things to do prior to contacting us. Yeah. And once you contact us, of course, we're going to have some suggestions and recommendations in terms of whether it be audio or video material or something to read or just a mortgage broker or lender that we work with to have a conversation with just to make sure that you can qualify or what your purchasing power is. There's things that are just going to unfold naturally in that conversation. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I mean, I have some clients, you know, that are working on their credit score because of some issues that may have happened three, four or five years ago. And then we just keep in touch. And every six months or a year, they tell me how things are going. And then, you know, we're now at a point where we can start moving forward with something. So even if you're not ready right now, just feel free to contact us. We're here to help and we're here to put you in touch with the right people. So that way we can devise a plan for you. Even if you're not ready right now, I mean, you can be very soon in the future. Yeah, exactly. All right, Oliver. Well, we went a little longer than I think you and I both anticipated. We were trying to (laughs) shoot for 30 minutes, but we went to 43 minutes now. But yeah, let's wrap it up here. This has been great. I think a lot of good takeaways from this. So if you're listening to this and you are already working with us, great. Just stay in contact with your investment counselor. But if you're now thinking about taking the next step and you want to have a strategy session, just get in touch with us. Go to the website, fill out the contact form, and we'll certainly connect you with our team. Other than that, Oliver, thanks for your time today. This has been great. Yeah, it's been great to be on the podcast here today. And yeah, look forward to the next one and also to meeting any and all new clients here. Yeah, absolutely. I know we've been very, very busy and last year has been an incredible year. And this year, you know, we've just experienced even more growth. As you already know, as most people know, we've been honored to achieve a rank of 925 on the Inc. 5000 this year. And it's an honor to just be on the list, period. But we're looking just to help more and more people. And I know Oliver is incredible at doing that. He's an incredibly smart investor. And so when you are talking to Oliver or anyone else on our team, it's for many people just a breath of fresh air because I've literally heard people say, I've learned more in one hour on a phone call with an investment counselor than I did spending $40,000. And I'm not going to mention the name, but a particular boot camp, three-day real estate training. I guess that speaks volumes. It's just, I'm very proud to hear that kind of stuff because it means that we have a great team. So, Oliver, thanks once again. And for everybody else, if you haven't subscribed to the show, please remember to subscribe. Help us spread the word. Just visit us on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you listen and leave us a rating and a review if you can. And again, thanks for listening and we'll see you all on our next episode. Are you on track to achieve your financial goals? Income-producing real estate is the most historically proven way to accumulate wealth and has created more financial freedom than any other means. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best turnkey cash flow rental properties. Our simple proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly income. Get your free strategy session with our knowledgeable investment counselors at noradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights and media interviews, please contact the host.